Hello, universe. This is Gold Podcast. I'm Les. And this is Doug. And And we we are genuinely out actively lifting society. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Goals Podcast, where we are genuinely out actively lifting society, and this is your host, Dub. I am on a solo mission today. Uh, we have a little bit of barbershop, barbershop talk <laughs> we're going to get into with Rob, our first guest that's come back to the show. Um, we had some more information we wanted to share with you about his story, but uh, before we get into that, we got a few updates It has been an amazing ride thus far. We are so, so excited and so happy to continue bringing you guys great content. Everybody out there, we appreciate each and every listen. We promise it means the world to us. Over the past three or four episodes, we've noticed quite the uptick in our audience. And so we are so appreciative. We're getting easily over 100 downloads every episode now. We are actually in several countries and we're on several continents. (laughs) So uh, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing ride. We got listeners in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, and even parts of Australia. We're all over the map right now. Um, Our top states, you know, top, top area is the United States. Coming in second is France and Canada. We've also had listens within India, the UK, Germany, Australia, Sweden, Bangladesh and Kenya, just to name the top, the the top tier where we're getting out there the most. So we are so appreciative of everybody that tunes into us week after week. Big ups to y'all. We uh, will be bringing you some gear here pretty soon. We're actually going to start making some sweatshirts and some t-shirts and get you guys some gear out there too. So you can start rocking and let everybody know that you're all about goals and out here lifting society through everything that you do. So we are so appreciative of everybody and everything that we got going on. Big news though, this year, we want to make sure that we continue to bring you solid content consistently on a very consistent basis. So last year we did in 2020, we did the episodes on a weekly basis. However, what we're finding is some of the guests that we're trying to get, sometimes when we do get these guests, they're busy, just like everybody else. And uh, we have some cancellations that happen and what have you. So in order to avoid giving you uh, the excitement of thinking we're going to be putting out an episode and then we have to delay or anything like that, we are going to go to a bi-weekly show segment. So we're going to have the show happen every two weeks. That's going to allow us the time to build up and give you guys great content, get more guests on the show, get more information out there, get more just really good content and research done. So when we do give you guys episodes, they're going to be even better than what they already are. So we're going to continue that through this year of 2021. And uh, who knows what happens after that. So we're just trying to take it all the way to the moon, man, as much as possible. We appreciate everyone. Keep tuning in on a biweekly basis. We'll give you plenty of content in between time in the meantime. So make sure you follow us on IG. That's at goals, P-D-C-S-T, goals podcast without the vowels. And if you guys love what you're hearing and this is your first time tuning in, be sure to smash that subscribe button. It's free. There's no no charge for you listening to us week after week. And uh, definitely give us a rating. So three things we're asking y'all to do. Follow us on that IG page. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love the content, if you don't, give us some feedback. Let us know how you're feeling about it. We love it. And make sure we're always engaging and touching base. Like I said, on IG, we love t- touching base with everybody. So we can all have that valuable hand-to-hand touch in a world where right now it seems like we're all so distant and far away. And uh, yeah, that's what we got to say. Uh, So appreciative, so thankful. Let's get into the show. Hello, hello. This is Goals Podcast, and this is your host, Dub, doing it on a solo mission today because we kind of got a little barbershop talk we're going to do today. We have, for the first time, a repeat guest. Yeah, because his story is pretty good, pretty great pretty phenomenal. And there were pieces that we left out when we had the discussion. So we are bringing back our good friend, Rob Neighbors to the studio. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. I'm honored to be a, a repeat customer. You are the only, the very a first. Repeat, <laughs> a, repeat inter, a, a repeat interviewee. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. dealing with the repeats. <laughs> <I'm a> repeat. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so you know, when you came in, we told us about uh, you know, the things that you've gone through, uh the hardships to the good times being uh a barber, going through with the kidney transplants and everything that you've been doing great for the community, which is amazing. And uh so I just figured we call this barbershop talk where it's just the fellas sitting in hanging and uh kind of discussing more on the I wouldn't necessarily say the dark side, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. the the scary parts. <laughs> call it the dark side. We go ahead and call it that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty much dark. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. gotta call it that, but I remember some dark spots. So. <laughs> yeah, we like to promote and uh, put a, a put an eye out on health and get that open to people's mindsets and what what happens with health. And we just want to bring out your story as far as what you actually went through with the kidney transplant and getting cut open. So let's, let's, uh, let's take them back, man. You can start. I know we had you on before, uh, you went through kidney failure. Um, so you want to just give us like a, a quick refresh of, of the health crises that you started into and, and then just go from there, man. I'm going to leave it to you to lead the show for me. <laughs> I'll give you full reign. Cause you, you've been here before. You know how we do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Full rain. <laughs> like it's like a, it's like a client give me full rain on the hair. They 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 trust me. I trust you, bro. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Well, to to bring the audience back, I uh, I am a two time kidney transplant recipient. I received uh, one of my my first kidney actually in two thousand and two, and that was from one of my younger brothers. And prior to that, I was on dialysis for 11 months. And uh, that kidney lasted eight years due to uh, me falling ill and being sick and being misdiagnosed. I received a medication called Augmentin. So that had me diarrhea and vomit for three straight weeks. So I had to go back on dialysis. The second time I went on for 14 months and my dad gave me a kidney in 2013 this march 13th will be i do believe eight years for this kidney and to talk about some of the the surgeries and some of the mishaps and some of the quote unquote dark side moments. Well, before we get there, even even okay. I'm gonna cut you off. <laughs> Sorry, okay. bro. But I wanna ask you, so it was eight years that you had the last kidney. Approaching the eight year anniversary of this kidney, what well, what is going through your mind with that? Um, you know, I used to to think like, you know, I gotta get another year, I gotta get another year. Now I just I just try to live and then celebrate that day. Like last year, it was um, myself, my brother that gave me the kidney and my dad. T um, three other transplant recipients that I know, uh, friends of mine and my son who made the trans, the uh, kidney logo of mine. We all took a, uh, we did a photo shoot inside of Hennepin County Medical Center inside of a uh, mock operating room. Nice. So that was a celebration for all of us. You know, we all came together. So we had recipients and donors and my son, who was the artist of the of the logo. So this year, hopefully I can get a roundtable discussion with that same group of people, which I had planned on doing this past year, which, you know, COVID kind of messed that up. You know, I wanted to do that in a certain time, but depending on the weather, um, I, I want to try and have that in my garage or somewhere where, you know, there's cameras and audio and, you know, there's uh, media involved and because we want to bring awareness to not only um, renal failure, but life after that. You know, there, there is life after that. You, you don't have to let what you've been through or your health situations dictate the way you live. I mean, of course, you have to take the medications and, you know, exercise and stay healthy and all the other things. But it's not a, a woe is me situation. Like I wake up every day like, OK, I have a kidney transplant. I can't do this. I can't do that. No, you have a kidney transplant because you have now now you have a better way, a better quality of life that you can live. 
because there's no more dialysis. Nice. So nice. don't sit and and ponder on if the kidney is going to reject or if the kidney is doing good, because that's very, very easy to do, being that you have to take meds every day. You know, you think about what you've been through prior, you know, and I'm pretty sure dialysis has hit um, every transplant patient different. And some have not been on dialysis. Some people just got a kidney right from going into the hospital, not having, having to do dialysis, depending on how, you know, how the situation fell. But yeah, we, we just want to bring awareness to, you know, a better quality of life and, and getting together with the people who have experienced some of your same experiences and, you know, sharing stories and, and uplifting each other. I love it. I love it, bro. And, you know, all the awareness I, I believe in, you know, I told you I have two family members that are going through dialysis right now. So I, I feel it. I love that you're succeeding. I love that you're winning and that you're out here bringing awareness to something that's a, a serious issue. So kudos Appreciate to you. It. Keep doing it. I love it, man. Appreciate so, it. Back to let, let's pull the the curtain back a little bit again. So <laughs> I digress. I digress. We can uh, we okay. can get back to where we were. Okay. So the first initial thing I do believe that kind of struck me was um, that pretty much had me in in awe was some of the side effects of dialysis. You know, prior to prior to surgeries and and whatnot. So you you know you're on the machine and you know you cramp up. You know you you, you can't move because the machine beeps. Um, you you crash. You can pass out. You know, which meaning that you know you're getting pulled too fast by the machine, and you can you can pass out. You know, or you can you can be done on the machine. You stand up and feel lightheaded and also pass out or, you know, you, you have little boils or, you know, that develop or cysts or um, water or fluid um, moving to certain areas of the body, you know, the swelling. And so those are just some of the side effects that, you know, people have to deal with. And, you know, not everybody is, is willing to share those, but in the, in the autobiography that I'm working on right now, I have a lot of that information in there. I'm not for sure when we'll be done, but um, it should be a very, very interesting book. And um, one one of the uh, one of the first surgeries that I've had was getting the dialysis uh, tube put in my chest. So they don't put you under; they just numb your chest, which is called. Uh, the, the catheter or the, the port, depending on who you talk to, is different names. So they find a vein that comes down your neck and they tap into that. And that's where they pull the, the blood from, you know, when they hook you up to the machine. So the very first time I had that done, I remember just waking up out of, I have took a nap or something, something happened. I can't remember, but I remember just waking up and, a friend of mine was standing at the foot of the bed and he was looking at me and the look that he was giving me was, was like a look that you see in, in the movies when, when a superhero is, is falling or is down or is hurt. And, and when he, I seen him looking at me, it just made me think like, what do I look like? You know, what do I actually look like for him to be looking at me like, like that? Yeah. And, you know, somebody gave me a mirror and I looked at, you know, my chest and, you know, it was open. I couldn't really move my head from right to left because it was it was still kind of numb. I had never had nothing like that in my body, nothing foreign, you know, sticking out of my body. And that's how I was supposed to live, you know, the remainder of my life unless I got a transplant. So they they take this, uh, the catheter or... Um well, a catheter port. Right. port yep. Yeah. And they, yep. they cut you open. So your chest is, has an open wound sitting there with this port sitting in it or. Yeah. There's a hole in your chest and it's stuck in the chest and it's connected to the vein. Wow. So it goes, if I'm not mistaken, I remember him saying that it goes down almost halfway t to your stomach. 
Oh, it's that long from your chest down. Wow. Yeah. If if that's what I remember, I don't remember seeing it actually taken out or put in, but mm-hmm. I remember that it was. They they told me it was quite a uh, a, a link towards your going down towards your stomach. So, and it could have been shorter than that. But, you know, some of my memories of those is kind of vague because, you know, some things you want to forget. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear that. Now, and go ahead. Uh, so, no, you, you I'll let you finish uh, what you were saying. I was trying to see, see where you're going with that. So so go ahead. I, I was going to say, and a lot of times they don't want you to keep that in your, in your chest. They want you to get the, uh, the, fish, the fiscula in your arm, the false vein to where they can go in and just poke you every time. And. I just always told myself I would not get that because I I don't know, I just had bigger plans and I didn't want the lumps in my arms for the rest of my life. And it just so happens that at this moment, you know, it worked out that way because with with the uh with the catheter, they say it doesn't it doesn't um pull as well it's like it doesn't clean the blood as well or it doesn't get the blood flow throughout your body going back into the machine as good as the fistula in your arm you know and it's easily and inf- get uh, can easily get infected because it's an open womb and it's hard to take showers and you know get it wet or to sweat you know and you, you have um skin that tries to grow around it you know so it's just a bunch of different um things that they didn't they didn't like about it you know especially if they wanted to have your blood as clean as possible for those three and a half or or three hours however long i was going depending on the the situation you know right so you you also mentioned in there that you you're you're writing a book um right now so once once that's done we'll have to have you on so uh okay discuss that and help you get that promoted so um appreciate yeah most definitely but uh, you, this fiscal, this uh, catheter that they have, or this port, when you woke up and they gave you the mirror, what was it that you saw that that had them looking like Superman was down? I um, I seen it. I had a a tube coming out of my chest. Yeah. And can you hear my dog? <laughs> yeah, we hear the dog. It's all yeah, good. he just he just came downstairs. He every time I get on a meeting, he always. He comes downstairs and is nosy. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Okay. So yeah, and I I just I seen blood. I seen you know the the tube sticking out of my chest, and it was just one of those things where you you hear them tell you what's going to happen, and then once it happens, and, and you're living in the moment, it's like okay, this is it's crazy. You know? Yeah. I never would of thought that I would have something like that in my, in my head. I mean, not my head, my, uh, my chest. So just one of those things. Yeah. Now did they, were you supposed to have the, you said you had bleeding running down your chest. Was there supposed to be blood outside? Well, there? I know it's an open wound. It was, it was fresh, you know, so you have the gauze over it. So when you open, you know, you move the gauze and there's blood there, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't bleeding at not that time, but there's another time that I was, you know, after, getting it put in. I've, I've had it in, uh, I've had one in three different times. Oh, wow. Okay. So what, what came about that you needed it three, three different times. I understand that, you know, you had the first one probably what, before you got the first, uh, kidney and then probably needed it again in between the, the, that kidney failing and receiving your second. Yep. I did a plasma phoresis. Okay. So plasma phoresis is, 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 just like dialysis, but instead of the blood, you know, they're, they're cleaning your plasma. So I did that for a month when they thought my kidney was rejecting. And after I did that for a month, my kidney um, reacted to it and my numbers went down. Okay. Was this so my with numbers the first better? This is with, this is with the first one. Okay. Yep. So that would have been the, the third one there then. That was actually the the second 
catheter shunt that I got put in my chest. Okay. Okay. So that that's that one, two, three section. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Now, so the third one was put in when I had the, the second kidney transplant. Gotcha. No problem. Right, I mean, right before I had the second kidney transplant. In between when the one failed in. The- yeah. So with the plasmapheresis, they put it in. I did that for a month and then they removed it. Okay. And so your, your was your kidney wasn't failing at that point? No, it, they thought that, you know, my numbers was reaching a certain uh, level. So they wanted to try something and that worked. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So my kidney did, no, it, it did not fail. Now, when you were going through dialysis, you mentioned the boils and uh, passing out, cramping. Did you experience mm-hmm. all of those symptoms or every you, last one of them? Every last one of them. Wow. So yeah. how, how did that, how did that work? You said you can't move. So if you got a cramp, I know I can't sit still <laughs> at all if I get cramping. So what was that like knowing you had to sit still? Were you able to try to fight through that or do they give you something for it? They would um they would try to give you saline or some type of crackers or something salt based, you know, to put something back in your body. I mean, you'd have to sit there and either depending on where, you know, the cramp was located, you know, you had to um try and stretch it out you know mm. so yeah it's, it's just kind of crazy and then so with the with the passing out did you experience that standing up or sitting down uh sitting down sitting down so you never passed out while you were standing up and and got in trouble that way um actually i did pass out um standing up oh wow did, so, you, did you fall and hit your head or I mean, that's I did the big, not the danger. So I figured one day I was going to take the stairs after getting off of the machines just for a little bit of exercise. As I was getting ready to leave out the door, there was a male, an older gentleman waiting in the waiting room. And we started talking. I do believe he was sitting there waiting on his wife. And we started talking. I think maybe about two or three minutes was going by and I, I couldn't hear him. What he was saying, it started becoming real faint. And I see my vision started, you know, getting blurry. And I just felt like, okay, I'm about to pass out. And as soon as I turned around to say something to one of the techs, she was right there. Next thing I I remember was my feet going in the air. I was in a chair. She had guided me to a chair, to a dialysis chair, and sat me down and hit the... uh, the recline button and my feet were in the air and that's when I kind of woke up. Wow. But I seen her and I was telling her, I, I remember actually saying, I think I'm going to, and that's all I remember. And I was in a chair. Yeah. She just grabbed me and I remember my feet going up and then um, I remember Lorna doing cookies sitting next to me and like a butterfinger. So, you know, it's trying to give me something to, to get me back going so <laughs> so and i just I, I just kept thinking like what if i would have took the stairs you know wow so would have passed out i'm sure you probably didn't finish taking the stairs that day <laughs> i did i did not take the stairs that day i, I took the elevator <laughs> but yeah yeah so with the passing out was it just due to was it due to low blood pressure or does this come about because of the just the fatigue that dialysis puts on the body that particular time, I'm not for sure, but I can imagine is is it can happen from both. Okay, I mean, you have to think about the blood that is put back in your body comes in at a different temperature than when it left out, and so now your body's trying to regulate that temperature. Um, you leave dialysis almost every single time, weighing ten pounds less than what you went in weighing. Yeah. So, and that's only three and a half hours. You know. When you lose three, when you lose ten pounds in three and a half hours, that's gonna that's gonna rattle you up a little bit. And not only that, they've just pulled um, salt out of your blood too. So, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different varia- uh, variables that go into that. You know, that that going to what you're passing out for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know a few people that might like to lose uh, ten pounds in just a few hours, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they want the dialysis to go along with it, but um, yeah. So yeah, so so you went through that, man. I, yeah, that's that's kind of got to be kind of scary, especially passing out. Um, 
I've passed out once before and, uh, that was probably pretty, that was really scary for me. And so at least you had someone there with you that was able to catch you, get you back on your feet and, mm-hmm. and help you there. So, so that's really good. Um, and then when you went to, for your first kidney, they tell you yep. finally, Hey, um, we're able to, you know, we, we did the test and it looks like you have a match with a, a family member. How long was that process uh, before they were able to get that approved uh, that you ended up? Because it sounded like you were kind of on dialysis for a little little while. I think it was a year, right? The first time? Yeah, 11 months. So it it basically was two part. It was was the the part of my brother coming forward and giving me the kidney. Because you got to think, you're giving up a body part, you know, and that's you don't just, okay, I'll do it. You know, that's, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's not how it goes. <laughs> you you have to, you got to weigh your, your options in your life. You know, you got situations and things going on. And then the other part is you can't have, you can't go into surgery if your levels aren't where they want you to be. You know, you can't have high blood pressure or you can't have a, a, a low hemoglobin and you can't have, um, a bunch of different things that that's not right, you know, and then you get, they're not going to put you under the knife so you can uh, bleed out, you know, and then you need transfusions or, you know, anything could happen. But so there's a certain level of, of uh, vital signs that they want you to be at before you can even receive a kidney. So mm-hmm. that was a, a struggle for a little bit. I think I, I can't remember which level it was, but it was maybe a month or two where I had to try to get certain levels to a, uh, an operable state, you know, for yeah. the doctors. Nice. Um, so once you got there and they went into surgery, what was that like for you? And, and what, what was, what happened through that process? So they prep you, they, um, they, they put your, the donor next to you. So, you know, we're, we're both, me and my, my, my brother laying there next to each other, you know, joking. And then they give you a, they give you a, um, a med to relax you before you go in. Okay. And so I remember, I remember that part. And then shortly after the surgery, I remember, um, getting wheeled into the uh, recovering room and giving a thumbs up to my family that was in a hallway. Nice. And I, I, I was, I was recovering really good. I was on my liquid diet for, I think about three or four days. And on the day they thought I could eat salads, I, they, they gave me some broccoli, you know, and, and the broccoli gave me gas to where my stomach started. It was growing. Oh, wow. And, and the only alternative was them to, um, to perform an enema. And that's when I found out what an enema was. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I was like, okay, I mean, at the age of what, 20, I think it was 24, 25. I had been through so many tests prior to that. It was like, how could I not know what the enema was? I've had every possible test under the sun before that, you yeah. know? So, <laughs> so the enema, you know, it released, you know, all the gases and whatnot. And I, I think I got out of the hospital in about four to five days. Okay. So were, were you able to continue eating solid foods at that point? Or was there an extended period of time where you had to stay on a liquid diet? I went back to liquid for a couple of days. <laughs> I didn't want another enema. <laughs> I, I can believe that for sure. Uh, but I, w- I was up and ready, you know, moving around after a day or so you know, in a wheelchair. I shouldn't say up and ready, but I, I was feeling better, you know, because you know, I think 11 months I was, I was deprived of, of uh, fluids and, you know, and, and certain things that, held me back and going through dialysis and having a certain uh, feeling about my, myself, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling that you get from dialysis. Not everybody feels the same, but for me, it was more of a tired all the time, um, kind of a drunken state. And I'm up ready to talk. I go in my brother's uh, room and he's like, leave me alone. I'm, you know, trying to recover. 
you know, so he's going, the, the donor usually has it worse than the recipient because mm. so, the donor is healthy. The donor is healthy and the recipient is not. So once the recipient gets a kidney, now they're feeling back healthy. And now the donor is going the opposite way until, you know, they, they adjust. Get back. Yeah. They so, adjust. so what was he going through? Was it, was it pain or was it just his body trying to figure out how to get rid of the toxins? Um, all, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All cause, of that. Because, yeah, because your, your kidneys is what siphons out. You know, it works with your liver, but it helps to yep. uh, get rid of it, you know, the, the, the trash in your system, basically. Yep. The um, morphine, uh, all of that. Yeah. So, the pain, you know. So, yeah, he was trying to get rid of he, he was He was out of it, you know. And then, a little cranky with you probably, huh? Oh, my goodness. He'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, you know, I'm just so happy, you know, that he gave me a kidney. I'm. You know, like we did it. This is the monumental to me mm-hmm. and to him, too. But at the time, he's just not he's not able to celebrate like, I, you know, <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So. So um, with that, where did they actually do the cut? Because the kidneys on the backside or yep. close to your back. So where where did you actually receive the incision for your kidney? In my stomach. In your stomach. OK. So if you go. If you go to, say, your belly button and you go over two inches to your left or to your right, depending on what side they want to put it on, they they cut you open right in that area and kind of two inches over, two inches down, three inches down, somewhere in there. And they just reroute everything. They reconnect everything that was connected to the kidney and connected to the front. And it takes a couple of few to three, two, four, five, six weeks for it to, you know, you for you to get used to it because now, you know, you you got your stomach in there, your intestines, and so, you know, you got a bulge there. And then now, you know, when you eat food, it's not going to digest and do everything properly because, it, you know, it's a little crowded. So there's some things that you, you have to go through, you know, as far as constipation and at least the things that I've went through, you know, so there's, there's some things that you get used to after a while, you know, like me, when I work out, you know, I work on my abs, it, it burns, you know, there's scar tissue there. And so you can tell that, you know, you've been cut. Hmm. With the, so your kidney is now sitting on the front side of your body versus the backside. So do you have to protect your, your abdomen more than the average person would due to that? You know, I used to. Now I try not to think about it. You know, I just try to live. Um, I don't play basketball like I, I used to. So, and that was one of the big things, uh, you know, getting hit in the stomach. Yeah. And so that was one of, one of the things I had to come to grips with. You know, I would still, I would go play, but I would try not to guard myself because, you know, once you start thinking about things, you don't, you don't play or perform the same way that you would if you played freely. And it's just like thinking about, you know, is it going to reject or is it going to, you know, am I going to need another one? And then you don't start living freely. Like, you know, you would normally live, you know, if you didn't need or have a kidney transplant. So I would try to mentally just tell tell myself I'm normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the transplant and they're putting the kidney in the front, are they keeping the original kidney or do they dispose of that? They keep the original kidneys in you until, say, for instance, knock on wood, I would never need another kidney transplant. They would remove one of the kidneys that's in me and that they've already put in in the front and put the new one there. So I have four kidneys in my body right now. Wow. Okay. Because you know, have both fail. Yep, those are um, shriveled up. They're not the size of a fist of a normal kidney. And then I have my brothers still in me on one side, and then on my right, on my uh, on my on my left side, and then I have my dad's on my right side. Oh, so you got you got some serious overcrowding in there on the front side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> So yeah. has that uh, changed your your eating? Do you eat less? Do you have to eat uh, smaller meals? Because you, you said that they do some adjusting and, and and your digestion works a little differently. So what what 
is different about the way that you have to eat if they're if at if at all now. In the beginning, in the beginning after surgery, I ate smaller meals. Okay, I didn't eat as much because you know you have to think there's still swelling there. Um, you're still trying to make sure that you don't eat too much so you don't get constipated. You know, and you have to wait for everything to go down so you can actually know what you're feeling. You know, you got your body's going through so many different things. So you need a little bit of time to to figure it out. And then after, you know, a little time goes by, you can kind of tell, you know, I can eat more. You know, I can um, do more. I can I can go up and down stairs faster, you know. Nice. That's when the swelling's down, you know. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I kind of forgot about is that, you know, when you walk, you use your stomach muscles. So one day I was, I, I was at home, everybody left. I, there was something in the basement that I wanted and I was, you know, at home recovering. And I slowly took the stairs down and grabbed what I wanted. And going back up, I realized I had to lift my legs. So <laughs> I forgot, and I pretty much got stuck down, stuck in the basement for just a, a good five minutes till I realized, okay, sit on your butt and just push yourself back up with your hands, you know. So, wow! So you, you couldn't use the, that ab at all because it was probably no. right when you got your um, yeah cut open. So yeah, okay, I could walk, but you know, you you lift that knee up. <laughs> That's that's all abs and stomach right there too, you know. Yeah. That's, that's connected. They're all connected, so it wasn't working, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. So you ended up having to scoot up the stairs, um, yeah, backwards. <laughs> wow, backwards at that. Yeah. So you did? Did you? You didn't tear anything up, at least. Hopefully, when you. No, I okay. made sure that I went really slow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Make sure I adjusted everything when slows, like, you know, not use the wrong muscles. So, yeah. When you uh, were in or when you were under, I've heard different stories where people wake up while they're uh, on anesthesia or they felt mm-hmm. pain throughout or they were com- they were completely awake through it and the anesthesia didn't work at all. And they felt the all the cutting. Did you experience anything like that during your surgery? Or surgeries, I, I should say, right? <laughs> yeah, I experienced that with my second transplant. Ooh. So my first transplant, my first dialysis stint and first transplant went a lot smoother than my second. Okay. So being that I um I was sick and I went into the doctor and they gave me a the the medication called augmentin. It had me diarrhea and vomiting for three straight weeks. So it dehydrated me and I lost the kidney. So I had to go back on dialysis. Now, during the, the time of me going back into the hospital, I was uh, still diarrhea and vomiting for the first week I started dialysis. And they were running all types of tests and they couldn't figure out what was going on. So I remember one of the times where they woke me up. And I did dialysis maybe at five in the morning. Now I'm still sick. So dialysis is still wiping me out. And I go back to the room and, you know, if you're in the hospital, they're taking your vitals every, every couple hours, right? Well, it mine was a lot more often than that. Then you have your dietitians come in and you have your, um, you just have everybody just rotating coming in. So I'm not knowing who's who I'm trying to get sleep. I haven't eaten. So then my food tray comes one day and I get my food tray. Um, I had a a visual, uh, an eye appointment that same day because the second time around um, it did something to my eyesight to where I couldn't see Mm. in the uh, see um, if I'm looking into something bright. So I had an eye appointment. I'm trying to get dressed. So I was just, I was just so wiped out. So I finally got a chance to fall asleep. And when I fell asleep, the lady from transport came in, woke me up, said, we got to go to your eye appointment. I said, okay. I called my wife, told her that I'm going to my eye appointment. We're at the elevator and I'm so beat that I passed out. And so my wife, all she hears is the lady yelling my name and yelling for help. On the phone. 
on the phone. And when I wake up, I'm back in my room and I see the phone in my lap and I'm so out of it. I handed it to the nurse and just told her to call my wife and she called my wife and my wife was uh, on the other end and I could hear, you know, and that right there was one of the most gut wrenching feelings that I had for her because what she heard, all she heard was the lady yelling my name and, you know, asking for help. Yeah. That's, that had to be really scary for her. And that's, that was, it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really scary. And on my end, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm zapped. I mean, I have no energy. I'm on lack of sleep, diarrhea, vomiting, uh, dialysis. So I'm just like leaned over, just no, no, type of muscle energy nothing at all and after that i think i came back home for a week same thing happened i'm still diarrhea and vomiting so i'll go back in the hospital for the third week and they treated me as if i had c diff which was a uh i do believe a stool disease that came from one of the medications which was augmentin that they said that I did not have, but they treated me as if I had it. And then it quit. You know, if I, I, I didn't do it anymore. I didn't have diarrhea or vomit after they treated me. So I, I, they said I didn't have it, but they treated me as if I did. And then they cured it. So, so that whole dialysis stent was way like the initial, you know, getting the tool put back in, um, going through the eye surgery or not eye surgery, but the eye appointment and just the tube alone, you know, was open. The wound was open so far that, you know, I had a couple coworkers that came in and seen, and, you know, my, my chest was, was bleeding this time, not like the first time. And you know, the doctors had to come in and I needed blood transfusions. Cause I, I have, I have pictures for that, that I'll probably put in the book. So you said that your your chest was bleeding on this one. Uh, this one, yes. When they put it in, was it just like gushing blood, or what do you mean by it was bleeding? Um, it was running down my ribs. I could feel it when I woke up. Um, wow. A couple wow. of uh, coworkers was in the room because at that time my wife had left with the with our young kids. Her and my dad had been there all day, and they just went home because it was a routine surgery that I had two times prior to that. But this time they had cut my chest open a little bit too far and there was no one in the room when I came to, but you know, the two friends, the two coworkers. Wow. And that's, that's, who, that's who called the, uh, the doctors in. And eventually I had to get a couple um, units of blood. So was the leaking from the wound or was it coming out of the tube? Cause the wound. Okay, it was out of the actual the, the incision that they made. Yeah, there's a there's a scar on my chest that's a lot bigger than the previous ones. So when you've had the when you've had the incision for your chest a couple times before, they've made it in several different spots. They don't just keep it in one one area. They it's it's in that same area, but it's they're close to each other. Okay. And so when they when they put you on that 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 pick that or you know the catheter for yep. being able to do the dialysis, how long are they able to leave that in before it starts to grow over the actual in you know the insert inserted piece or how long are they allowed to keep that? Um, I'm not for sure how long they're allowed to keep it in, but some people don't have problems and some people do, and I remember. Um, I got treated a couple of different times for um, infections. Um, there was a buildup um, growing or like skin growing around my tube. So, you know, they would, they would clean it and, and take care of it and then um, give me an antibiotic for it. And then it, it would get cured. So it's, it's an open wound. So did, did it like, was it always in pain having that in or? No, it wasn't always in pain. You kind of got used to it. Mm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say if you touched it, it wouldn't hurt. Um, but <laughs> like, uh, one time I went out with my friends and we, we went out to, we went out, uh, downtown Minneapolis and we were going into some, uh, 
I think it was a club and, you know, you got to get searched. And before the bouncer even touched me, it's like, okay, I got a catheter in my chest and, you know, he's pat me down and he touched it. And I was like, that's, I, I got to show you this, you know, don't, don't pat me and think that I have something in there that you're going to pull on, you know? So I kind of, you know, open my, open my shirt up so he could see it. But, you know, he was getting ready to pat it after I said, you know, I got something in my chest and like, you know, he didn't understand what I was talking about. Ah, that's yeah. That would be kind of, that would make me a little nervous for him to be just yeah, and pulling on that too. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I've heard of, I've heard stories of people's coming out when they were sleeping. So, wow. Um, and it's, that's an open artery. So you, are you, I mean, if it comes out that that could be very dangerous or detrimental to your health or you, you as a living being, <laughs> am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yes. Okay. So yeah. And you, how long did you go with that? The, the last time between the, the kidney failure and receiving your next donor kidney? 14 months. With the pick in. Yes. Wow. Whoo. That's a long time, bro. <laughs> And yeah, there's, there's people have done longer. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, 14 months was a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's some people that are out there for years. And so, but I, I couldn't even yeah. imagine just the, the 14 months. So it's, it, it, I commend you on going through that process with, uh, with that tube, do they close it off? How are they making sure that the, the blood is not coming out when you're not receiving your dialysis treatments? It's capped on the ends. Oh, it is capped on the ends. So there's a it's 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 an in and an out port. So it's capped on the ends, and then you're you have gauze over it. And so, like when I would take a shower, I would kind of window paint it, you know, put um, gauze and then um, like press and seal around it, and a glove over the port, and tape that down to my body and just not get that area wet and just kind of soft towel or sponge it, clean that area around it. You know, would it, was it easier to take a bath <laughs> or would you still have to go through that same process when you take a bath as far as getting it all, all wrapped and prepped, prepped like that? I, I would still have to um, wrap it up just because I'd be in water, you know, just in case if it, the water was, a, you know, splash up on, on my chest, so yeah, I'd, I'd always have to wrap it up, regardless. So going through that, you're 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 a, a very healthy person, and you know we I always see you on uh, with your shirt off. You got the poster once you got back, <laughs> uh, feeling good after the kidneys and everything. Were you able to work out at all during this time frame when you were going through dialysis, or was your body just too drained, or was it the pick, or was it just a combination of everything? when you went through that so with that they don't want you to sweat okay. you know with that port now if i had it in my arm then that probably wouldn't have been a problem but i started working out when i knew i was getting my second transplant but prior to that i would shovel that would that would be my exercise and then just like in the, in the summertime would just walk but shoveling my my driveway, which is a hundred feet long, you know, people thought I was crazy because I didn't have a snowblower. I didn't use a snowblower, but to me, that was the exercise that I I needed the the time alone, the therapy, and I could regulate my temperature by opening and closing my jacket, you know, while I'm out there shoveling. So that was my workout. And as far as like in the summertime, you know, I just wouldn't I wouldn't just try not to sweat. That's got to be hard in I'm, August in Minnesota with yeah, 95% yep. humidity. And, w- and with my second transplant coming up, I just started doing push-ups. I just, I didn't work out hard, but I just knew what I had ahead of me. I knew that I started doing push-ups and sit-ups and um, just trying to prepare my body for getting cut again and and, and all the, the drugs that they're about to put in and things I was going to go through. And so with that, you know, me and my dad, you know, this time is me and my dad laying in the in the pre-op rooms and laughing and joking. And they give me a sedative to relax me before surgery. And I feel my throat starting to close mm. and it get, it's getting scratchy. And there were a couple of gentlemen at the foot of my bed and I asked them if they could get a doctor. And they said, yes. Shortly after that, I couldn't speak, but I could see. So now 
I see people come to me and and push me down the hallway and I'm headed to the operating room. Now I see the lights, but I can't say anything because of whatever, I think it was Benadryl. I had an allergic reaction to. So now I'm, I'm going into surgery, but I can't tell them that I'm having trouble breathing. Oh, cause you, cause your throat was closing and it was yeah, my off throat. your airway completely. Yes. And so when I, when I got out of surgery, my wife said she could tell something was wrong because the previous, I, previous time I, gave a thumbs up. She said, this time you just look like you're out of it. And then they came in and told me that they had to reverse all the, um, the pain meds or anesthesia or whatever um, they gave you during surgery because you had an allergic reaction. So when I came to in the recovery room, I had no pain meds in my body. And you had just been cut open. Yeah. So, and I could feel every single thing that if somebody touched the bed, if I had to <clears throat> do that, like clear my throat, it was this excruciating pain. And on top of that, I couldn't see my wife's face or I couldn't see at all because my potassium was so high. It was like I had a uh, piece of wax paper over my face, but I could see her silhouette, but I couldn't actually see her. And I just kept whispering to her, like, you know, what happened? What are they doing? Are they, are they trying to kill me? And I just, I, all I remember is saying, take pictures. And I kept pushing the covers off me, pressing it down on my stomach because if I had to say something, I had to press down because I was trying to neutralize the pain and, you know, clear my throat or, you know, I had, I was whispering, but it really didn't help because my throat had so much phlegm or whatever was in there that it caused a vibration going through my body. And so I was just, it, it was, it was in a, a pretty situation. Yeah. That's excruciating pain. And a lot of people don't realize unless they've had some type of uh, like broke a rib or some type of abdominal issue, how much you use your abdomen for even just speaking. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, breathing, how was it? Were you able to breathe? Okay. <laughs> okay. Cause I know you use your abdomen even for that. I was, I was taking short breaths, but, I just remember having my eyes closed and and trying to listen and I don't know I just remember being in excruciating pain and they couldn't give me anything because my potassium was too high to even take anything that's what they that's what they told uh, my wife and before they put me in the ICU right before they put me in, were going to put me in the ICU my body started uh coming around and so then that's when they started um I do believe it was morphine that they were giving me, but after a while it stopped working because I was still in pain and I kept telling them there's something, there's something wrong with um, my stomach and I don't want any more drugs because it's just masking, you know, what's, what's going on. And two, I think about two days went by and my stomach started to grow and you know, they want you up walking around and getting weighed and I could barely move my right leg. And I kept telling them something's not right. And they kept telling me that I'm 10 years older than my last surgery. Well, I, I kept telling them, no, that that's not it because I exercise and I prepare for this moment. Right. Said so I know my body and I have um, blood in my, my, um, my bag, my urine bag. They could see it clearly. It was urine mixed with blood, but that was supposed to be normal. And one day I just told the nurse, I said, I'm going to throw up. And she said, do you want something for nausea? I said, yeah, because I knew whatever hit my stomach, I was going to throw it up. And once she gave me, I don't even remember what she gave me, whatever she gave me, I just started throwing up. And when I threw up, I had blood in there. Wow. And so they, they did an ultrasound stat the lady came in there, put the gel on my stomach and put the, uh, the machine on my stomach for two seconds, turned around, looked at the machine and walked out. Didn't even tell you what was going on. She, she didn't have to, uh -huh. she walked out and the doctor came in and said, we have to go back in. I had a blood clot sitting on my nerve on my leg. So to go back in. how many days That's did you go through that? Um, almost three. Wow. So, so you didn't have, any pain meds, you finally nope. are starting to come around. Yep. 
uh, they give you some morphine and you knew something was still wrong with you. So you, you stopped that, had the pain again and turn around, come to find out you were right about your own body. And now you got a blood clot sitting on your leg that they got to go in and do something. It was about. sitting on my nerve because I could, that's why I couldn't move my leg. That's why I could barely get up on the scale. Well, and when I'm moving, when I'm walking with a walker, I'm dragging my right leg because the blood clot was sitting on my nerve. Thankfully, it was sitting on your nerve because who knows if you would have even noticed. And you it maybe traveled. It could have traveled. You could have maybe even lost your leg or yep. or worse. So that you go back into surgery at that point, were they able to? Was your potassium levels right where they could give you meds and everything like that at that point? Yeah. So I I always kept my phone under my leg and would call my wife whenever something was going on if she wasn't at the hospital. So when the doctor came in and told me that they had to go back in that night to remove the blood clot, I called her and she had already knew. The doctor had already called her. She said, I know he called me already. So however long it took the lady to go talk to the doctor and me to talk to the doctor and get wheeled back to the room. And I call her. She knew already that what was going on. Yeah. So she got a phone call and they said they had to go back in. Thankfully, she she knew and heard from the doctors. So she uh, probably got a little bit more information than what you might have even been able to tell her about what was going on. Yeah. So however long it took me to get transported back to my room, because, you know, you only get service in certain areas of of the hospital. Right. So once I called her, she's like, I already got they already called me because we were you know, we were going through something like you have to listen to us. Something's not right. My right leg. I'm very athletic. There's no way that I cannot move my right leg. I've had the surgery before. And not only have I had the surgery before, I know what my body is like. And so the next morning when I woke up, I I was in my room. After after the surgery, I woke up and I was in there. I lifted the sheets and I raised my right leg and I just said, thank you, God. (laughs) Well, I I had more confidence going in for the second surgery that night than I did the first transplant. I mean, the second transplant surgery, which I couldn't barely, you know, breathe at all. So, yeah. Well, that's really good. And I'm glad you had the gumption and fortitude to continue to stick to your guns with your doctors because you knew something wasn't right. And I think a lot of us sometimes feel like we can't speak because we feel like the doctors know best when yes. you you know your body, you know when something's wrong. So kudos to you for speaking up on that, man. That's that's really good because who knows what could have happened. You, know, you have to be your own advocate. Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing about it is that I got out of the hospital two days later. So I was trying to actually do a personal best and try to get out of the hospital faster than I did on my first transplant. Oh, man. So I still got out of, I still got out of the hospital in five days. Wow. <laughs> Going through all that. You are. I see why they be trying to call you Superman and Black Panther now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And, and now look at you. So you've. You've gone how many? You said it's going on eight years now. That yeah, I do believe eight. Yep, eight years. And you're you're feeling healthy as an ox. You've been going and getting the tests done. And what are they saying? Because I know you just recently, uh, a couple months back, went and got uh, all your tests done again. What do they say then? This was, I do believe. Well, my test came back a little abnormal after I had coronavirus. So oh yeah, yeah. My, hem- my hemoglobin was was low. So I had to get a couple um, iron transfusions because coronavirus dropped my hemoglobin very, very low. That had to be scary, though, at the time, even getting the coronavirus because of you got the flu prior and that drained you when they gave you the meds and and caused your kidney to fail. So I know you probably went through a whole entire set of uh, crazy emotions going through the coronavirus. You know, with the coronavirus, I didn't even go into the hospital. Oh, you didn't even have to go to the hospital. I stayed at home, man. And uh, I was was, honestly, I was scared to go in and (laughs) I just fought it out at home and it didn't it didn't damage my kidney. And, you know, Mm. with all the with all of the um, the pre-existing condition talk about how it's killing people and whatnot. And I, I just prayed and stayed at home and and fought it. And a friend of mine said, the reason that, you know, you went through it the way you went through it is because of your, 
the shape that you're in. And I can agree with that, but I also just, I don't know. I just, I just, I felt like it was something that I couldn't let get me, you know? Yeah. But trust and believe I did. I did fall into, you know, a depressive state. I mean, you know, you, you, all you, all it takes is something like that to happen to you. And if you've been down that road before, you can all you can go back real quick, you know, because there's the flu, there's coronavirus and there's kidney rejection. And I was way past the flu. So, you know, whenever you throw up or, you know, have have uh, certain things that are like red flags of rejection, you know, you start thinking and I had to I had to rethink my thoughts. I retrain myself to think different thoughts, you know, like I'm not, I don't need a transplant right now. You know, I'm in better shape than I was. Um, I got a lot more going for me. So all of this talk of if it's going to happen, stop thinking that and just focus on the task at hand and let's beat coronavirus and get back to the regularly scheduled program. And thank God it happened like that. Yeah, man. Mindset is everything. It's something I talk about all the time. It It is. It is. Yeah. I, I I was in a dark spot, man. I, I was, but luckily I came out of it, which um, unfortunately I lost uh, my nurse for 19, you know, my only kidney nurse I had for 19 years. She had committed suicide when I was recovering mm-hmm. from coronavirus. So that kind of put me back at a little, uh, little stepping stone where I had to, you know, regroup again. But I had, I came back and beat that and, at the same time, I came the day I came back to work after being off a month. Hennepin County Medical Center was doing a blog on me. They were following me as I had got coronavirus and as I was recovering, and they decided to share it with the local news. And then the news came to my job the day I came back on December first, which was my oldest son's nineteenth birthday, and hey. they interviewed me. And it was just I thought I was ready for all of that, and I got home and I was so tired. <laughs> <laughs> birthday news uh being back to work you know it's a lot thrown at you yeah but i mean it's 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 all good you know good to to coincide all of that together you know yeah well i'm 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 so that happened (laughs) yeah i'm so elated for you i'm happy to see you on the other side my friend i'm happy that you went through the darkness and you went through that tunnel and you saw the light so I'm I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you're healthy. And uh, same here, man. Happy you're able to give my sons fresh cuts as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy that you're able to bring them into me. Yeah, for sure. Because uh your story is one for the ages. I love that uh, you know, your battle as an entrepreneur is is one uh, one thing, but the personal things you've gone through and had to persevere just goes to your spirit and you who you are as a person and and just how strong you are. So I, I definitely am in rare air when I get to talk with you and I'm always, always elated and glad to speak with you, my friend. Well, I appreciate you having me back um, for the second time. And, you know, we, we always have deep discussions and, you know, I think that there's a reason why, you know, people are put in each other's life, you know, and, it doesn't, it, we don't have to do a lot of explaining when we talk because we all, we, we both know what the common goal is, you yes. know? And, and that's one of the beautiful things about meeting people that, you know, you don't have to figure out, you know, you don't have to try and decide on, you know, if, if they're good people or not, you know, and, and that's, that's what the world we live in, you know, the trust is not always there. You're not always open to people. Yeah, And, you know, once you find those people that you can actually sit down and relate and have a good conversation with, that's a plus, man. That, that is a plus. You know it. So, well, I want you to let the people know where they can find you. And also, you have the gear. You got not just the barbershop, you also have the gear. So where can they find you and find your gear? So first, we can go to the website at www.neighbors cut.com that's n-a-b-o-r-s-c-u-t.com you can go to my instagram which is neighbors cut llc or you can go to my facebook page and that's a that's neighbors cut also nice 
I always want you to be able to get that out there, let people know where to find you. And then he has a lot of stuff on his website as far as gear. You can see the the logo that was done for by his son for the kidney, uh, you know, giving representation to having his kidneys strong again and everything else. So it's always a pleasure to have you on set, Rob. You're an amazing dude. Happy you're here. Happy to share your story. And I can't wait for the book to get put together. That's that's going to be amazing. I already have heard part of the story, but to get into the nitty gritty of the details and full description, I can't wait to have you hopefully come back again. And uh, let's represent and, and you know share that with the world too, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. I will definitely uh, accept the invitation to come back for the third time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I would most definitely accept that. We're, we're gonna have you as our spotlight, our spotlight uh, guest coming on as a co-host sometime. <laughs> I, I might just have, a, I might just have a side show coming. <laughs> the through. camera's panning on the camera pans away from you, and I got a small desk next to you. <laughs> <laughs> I just hanging out. Hey, there goes Rob. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it, bro. Well, all right. That's it for us on Goals. We're so happy to have Rob on. Make sure y'all check him out. Follow him. As usual, we will make sure his note, his information is in the notes of the show. So if you didn't get a chance to go and jump on your phone and do it right then, make sure you click in the detail notes and you will be able to get to him there. And my man has one more thing to say. I just want to tell everybody out there, if you're going through hardship, just just never give up. Never give up. Follow your dreams, follow your inspiration, surround yourself by around with people that, you know, have have your best interests. You know, there's 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 bad in the world, but, you know, good is hard to find. Keep looking for it. Once you find it, you'll you'll know that it's it's hard to keep. It's very hard to keep. So just keep looking. And, and the more good you find, the better you feel. But just never give up on yourself or, you know, or your dreams or goals. And speaking of goals, I appreciate have, uh, being back on here a second time, Goals Podcast. I appreciate it. Yes, very, sir. Very, very much. Yes, sir. <laughs> You're the man. I can't even say nothing after that. So we're going to end it on that. <laughs> Let the world know. Peace. Peace. Peace.